The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by Pat Crane for the first episode this week. We will have at least one more episode. Uh, our, our crossover with Eric Bime for from the Spike Week will be up later in the week as well. But, Pat, you know, we, we've been talking about the dead zone. We've been talking about running backs. You've published all this research, and you finally, on NBC Sports Edge, have published your magnum opus in which you basically said uh don't draft running backs that don't catch passes yeah i'm slowly working towards just don't draft running backs but we gotta eat you know oh geez we only really want the running backs to score a ton of points and oh man they they're kind of hard to find aren't they <laughs> they really have this limited profile um no i obviously i do think you should be drafting the guys who can win you your league and and that's the kind of the interesting thing about running back is that you you do have these guys um, and it kind of justifies the ADPs that we see early on, but not entirely. And I think that's uh, the real key is that you want to you want to be trying to hit the home run where it makes sense to to you know make that swing. But in other cases, it, it's not always going to make sense. And I was trying to really narrow down the profile that we're looking for um, in making these running back selections. And as you point out, receiving is really the biggest thing. Uh, if you're trying to look for a modern NFL running back who's going to produce the type of season that Todd Gurley gave us in 2017, Christian McCaffrey gave us in 2019, you're going to need kind of a minimum threshold of receiving. They don't necessarily need to be like the Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Uber receiver, but uh, Dalvin Cook last year, first guy to do it since uh, since the 2009 season uh, with less than four receptions per game. And Dalvin Cook is also involved in the receiving game. He's not a total zero in the receiving game. But um, but yeah, if you the very first thing I think is that you gotta have the path to that four plus receptions per game and then kind of dove into everything else that uh, the profile has had uh, both in the, the modern era and since 2000. That, that really is the key. Just like I, what I am thinking now when I'm drafting running backs, particularly when I'm drafting running backs, you know, after the first round, I mean, I definitely don't take Derrick Henry. Like uh, I, I was uh, looking at my best ball exposures the other day on, on underdog and I searched for Henry under exposure and I wanted it to be zero so bad. <laughs> I, but I, I must've at some point taken him in a best ball mania because I have 2% exposure to him but $55 of of entry fees um so I I must have gotten Derrick Henry at some point which is a little bit of a bummer but I think the first round running backs you know Kamara Aaron Jones Saquon Barkley even even the guys who are on the borderline you know Austin Eckler are going to catch more passes Jonathan Taylor despite sharing the backfield with Naheem Hines was still capable as a pass catcher as a rookie and I think 
if you if you put it in a probability of likelihood, like what's more likely, Jonathan Taylor catches 60 passes or Naheem Hines repeats as a top 24 running back in PPR, I actually think Jonathan Taylor catches 60 passes is, is more likely because he seems that good to me. But kind of how I'm viewing my running back exposures now, and we are, you know, we are transitioning more towards main event stuff and kind of out of thinking of everything from a best ball perspective. I actually have my first main event on Monday night, then I'm drafting on doing another one on Wednesday night. So it's, it's, we are, we are here. Yeah. It's, it's main event season, but, Um, but I think the main event stuff actually, I think in some ways makes this easier to think through because the, sure the pushback on all this running back stuff, you know, I'm using best ball win rates in the first article to exactly, you know, but the, it's not necessarily, Although I'm using best ball win rates, I, I honestly think it applies more to managed leagues because best ball has all these caveats where like you can take you could take Derrick Henry if Derrick Henry scores 19 points per game this year. It's below what we, what we want for that selection. And there's probably a running back in that range who's going to score like 24, 25 points per game. But if you structure your team well around a 19 point per game, Derrick Henry, you could still be you could still be good. You know, so for I sure. think the. The way I'm thinking through this in best ball is like, if I can't figure out who's going to do it, I'm more likely in best ball to go ahead and still mix up my exposures a little bit and take the one elite running back structure and really count on that guy to be starting for me every single week and, and make him a start. You know, he has to be a starter or this team's dead. And that means that if he fails to get to the legendary win rate, fails to hit the you know the 23 24 25 points per game threshold that's okay i still am using his score every week and i'm making the most out of it in managed leagues the guys who have the elite wide receivers have more of an advantage on you because they get to set and forget the wide receivers and you've got to figure out wide receiver later and also guys without elite running backs can more easily make that up because they have the waiver wire they can just churn they can start they can use the predictability of running backs week to week and you don't get to catch them with the volatility of a whole boatload of wide receivers getting slotted into your lineup. So everything about managed, I think makes taking these running backs early more risky. There's more opportunity cost in doing it. And so I think as we move into managed league and, you know, high stakes season here, we're, we're probably, it's a bit of a cleaner path where I kind of lean towards, if I can't figure it out, if I can't, truly see the upside here i'm i'm just gonna go wide receiver or in well, premium tight end and i'm actually more likely in best ball to take the dead zone style guys like the guys who maybe don't catch that many passes um like uh you know a josh jacobs if he falls mm-hmm. to the seventh round even even like uh you know chris carson or something like that. i mean i you don't have to take chris carson now because daryl henderson's there but in, in best ball, there is something to the idea of like even a guy in round three who scores 14 points a game might be a good win rate player. I mean, Todd Gurley last year, completely dusty, but had what it was like a 14% win rate or something like that last year. I don't just think because... it was that high, but he, but he was helping hyperfragile teams. Leone showed that in his article. Yeah. And so I think there's actually a better use case for those guys in best ball leagues whereas you would so much rather have your high upside wide receivers because of that ability oh I picked up Boston Scott this week I picked up Elijah Mitchell this week I picked up 
uh, Larry Roundtree this week. Like it's just you, you, your roster flexibility in cutting the wide receivers who don't make it, cutting your guys who get hurt. Because basically the way I think of it in best ball or, or in managed leagues is my wide receivers are likely to be so good that I'm, I don't, I mean, I know that what you guys picked up T Higgins on one of your teams last year, uh, Travis Colgum, Chase Claypool, but because the rooms have gotten so wide receiver heavy, and this is even true in the main event. I mean, obviously it's super true in underdog, but we have started to see wide receiver ADP creep up a little bit in the high stakes leagues, which is, I think, largely a reaction to what happened last year, which was all the mid round running backs were bad and all, you know, wide receivers just scored so many more points last season. So I think that's kind of a natural reaction from those rooms that tend to be uh, a little bit more reductive in their, in their thinking. I mean, I honestly, my best win rate in managed leagues has been the FFPC leagues the last couple of years, because I think those drafters are, are pretty bad um, relative to like, I like the average underdog draft. And they think we're bad. It's, it's great. Like they, they think we're terrible. So you can do what you want to do and they can do what we want to, what they want to do. And I feel like everyone's happy. It's a really, it's a really nice situation where they, they stubbornly think we're idiots and we think they're idiots. And we just, we both get to do what we want to do. I mean, those rooms, despite being a little bit more wide receiver heavy, um, and I think the wide receiver heaviness, if anything, is more on the back end. Like they're, you're not just going to pick up Rondale for free. Um, where last year, you, Elijah Moore went in the eighth round of a main event we're in now. Right. And that's after the day-to-day quad injury. I thought, you know, we were, we let him go in the eighth thinking, hey, maybe we get a discount on this quad thing. He comes back into the ninth, but he, he went the very next pick after. So I think that's the range where you're seeing a little bit more aggression with the wide receivers and then maybe a little bit on the back end rounds as well. But early on, I actually don't think you're seeing a real significant shift in the approach to wide receivers, especially compared to underdog. Like FFPC is not showing any of the signs of what we've seen in, you know, the, no, you're, you're much more likely to see a round two David Montgomery than you are to see uh, a round three T Higgins or whatever in, in FFPC. Like that's just, that's just the way it works. Um, And, and so I think managed leagues are kind of good. I mean, this was the strategy that we had last year. We said, this is the ideal year with the COVID stuff with uh, you know, a lack of, of preseason and everything. Like we all thought that the right way to approach drafts last year, well, you guys were actually heavier on the true zero RB. I, I tend to be a hero RB drafter, like just a huge percentage of the time I am mm-hmm. taking an elite running back in round one and then moving on from there. And actually we just, uh, my, my, all the daily Rota subscribers and I who do our mega managed leagues, we do two main events every year and we have, we like, it's a collaborative effort. I think we've done it two years in a row. So we've drafted four teams twice. And I think every time we've either taken a running back in the first round or Travis Kelsey in the first round. Um, and the Kelsey thing this year in, in, in FFPC leagues is bizarre. Cause I don't love taking him at two. Um, yeah. Like I, I just don't love taking him over Dalvin cook. And, and to be honest, if I was on the clock, I also would prefer Alvin Kamara and Ezekiel Elliott to Kelsey. Not that I think Kelsey is bad there, but just from a roster construction perspective. And, and this is actually a point that you and Pete have made on ship chasing the, the whole time the show has existed. 
you can kind of figure out tight end. You can pick up your Jordan Akins, your Richard Rogers, your Dalton Schultz's. Like you can kind of find those guys because in the end, the difference in production between, you know, whoever finishes tight end seven and your, your weekly streamer, it's just really not going to be that large, you know, because right. the, the tight end seven sucks every year. Now, the Kelsey Kittle Waller group is going to blow everyone away. And those guys are going to have huge win rates and FFPC scoring, but spending the sixth round pick on Noah Fant or whatever is really not desirable in, in that system for me. I agree. We took, we took Hawkinson last year, I think in the eighth round and we went Mark Andrews in like the third round, I think, or maybe even the second and then took Hawkinson in the eighth, I believe. And the funny thing is like because of the state of tight end like Andrews certainly was not optimal in the second but I don't he didn't really kill us um I think we finished second in that league even with those two picks and then uh Hawkinson Hawkinson actually like pays off that eighth round ADP fairly easily but also kind of sucked last year too like he finished he finished tight end three and really was not even that good he wasn't even that good so the thing with tight end I do think you can you can make it work by doing something like that. Um, but generally I want to have one of the elites, like the true elites if possible. And if I am taking a guy in that middle, that middle round range, I think Fant would be the type of guy. Um, well, sure. I, I, someone, I so you want to swing really big. I, I like Noah Fant. I didn't mean to disparage him, but like uh, you turn it into Tyler Higby whose upside I think is really linked to touchdowns. And I'm, I'm not nearly as into it. Like, Tyler Higby, an underdog, I actually like because also a lot of the times you can do if you're on the nine ten turn or whatever you can you can uh, tap Higby and then take Stafford and I, you know I am really in on the Rams passing offense but I I do prefer like I just I do feel you prefer so, Tyler Higby in best ball is that what you're saying? Well, I do prefer Tyler Higby, but I I just like I I do think that even taking Adams, Diggs, Tyreek, and I know I this is why I'm the RB guy because I'm on the clock. And I'm looking at Alvin Kamara or Diggs, and it's just like I'm just clicking Kamara. Like I just, it's not, it's just I'm not even really thinking that deeply about it. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I've been trying to keep in mind, I think especially with well, all three of the guys, Hill, Adams, and Diggs, I think it's very conceivable that this is a year where you needed McCaffrey or you needed one to three of Hill, Adams, and Diggs because we have like enough red flags on early round running backs, you know, like the whole Camara situation cook. I think after doing I, this article, I was like, I, it's a I little thin. To, I wanted to talk about Kamara actually. Cause I'm, I'm going the other way with Taysom looking like shit and Jameis probably being the quarterback. I think they are going to, I think this is going to be Alvin Kamara's the most touches he ever gets in his career. I, I think that this, their, their plan going into this year is, this, they, you know, the whole Michael Thomas thing, you know, who knows what's up with Troutman's development there. They were, there was that article from, I don't, I wish I remembered the name of the beat writer about Latavius Murray, maybe being a cap casualty just because the saints are yeah. in such cap hell that sure. They like Latavius Murray, but he's what a 32 year old running back who like they could and save they brought some in, money. They brought in Freeman to see, I think Freeman's there to see if they can cut Murray. That's why yeah. he's there. Um, and, and Latavius Murray, like if you're, if you have like 18% Latavius in best ball or whatever, and you're freaking out, like he would sign with the team immediately. 
like it, it would it would be like <laughs> it would be yeah. okay yeah don't, yeah don't worry i mean it would it, it will be it will be okay like latavius will will get his points um yeah don't it sounds don't. like latavius is still ahead right now but i was reading yeah. this morning like the idea like basically because freeman has looked good in some reps and old in some other reps um is it's about what you'd expect on the athletic. yeah but they're basically i think just seeing like can we cut murray that's that's the so right here to my point on kamara never had more than 275 touches in a season has never had more than 194 carries and he of course you know he's he's locked into his 80 receptions or whatever but what if he just becomes Christian McCaffrey. Like, what if they just decide, all right, enough of this nonsense. Alvin Kamara is our best player. I, you could you could for sure argue that Alvin Kamara, given how they've used Michael Thomas, like it would maybe even be better. These little dump-offs to Alvin Kamara might actually be better plays than seven-yard slants to Michael Thomas because Michael Thomas is a good player, but it's not like he was ever a good player in terms of like, oh, he's, he's like A.J. Brown taking – cross right. crossing routes to the house like it's just he's very good but not necessarily like otherworldly athletic like why can't alvin kamara have a christian mccaffrey season why can't he catch 100 passes why can't he rush the ball 220 times i, I don't think he'll rush the ball 220 times but part of me wonders if he can be like miami jarvis landry with a goal line yes yeah that's like and honestly so I want to let me finish the wide receiver point because yes, I do. Go. I think there's some scenarios where Kamara fails and then cook like cook has, I think a very, a thinner path back to what he did last year than I really like giving him credit for, or you know what I mean? Or giving a situation credit for given that he's the first guy to do it without four receptions. Uh, I was listening to Pat Thorman talk about how this, this offense is probably going to be pacing down. So we're looking at less overall play volume. This is like a, a situation where Cook, not that Cook's like, you know, necessarily like failing, failing in those scenarios, but the idea that he's going to be really worthy of the 102, it seems like locked in. We're not even talking about it. I think that could look like a mistake in retrospect. Um, and then we have all these second round running backs that are really interesting. So like you can sit, you can sit back that, with a Tyree Kill and Adams and Diggs I, and then pair them with a the second round guy. I do think that is a huge key is that the second round running backs last year, felt very fraught um like you know there obviously there was uh you know uh Dalvin Cook went in the second round last year but also there were loads of guys going in the second round who we simply had no interest in right, right. Ken Kenyon Drake Josh Jacobs right like these were these were uh these were just guys we were not interested in taking um at all and that is not the case this year like uh, Jonathan Taylor Antonio Gibson Joe Mix even Joe Mixon, who is the guy I have the least of of that tier, I still like in a vacuum. Like I still see, like okay, he could if, still do it, maybe. Well, if if it is if that they so Giovanni Bernard is gone, if the offense is a little bit better and they do actually come through on this promise to play him on third downs, why why can't he be the guy? Why can't he catch four and a half passes a game? have 1800 yards from scrimmage and 14 touchdowns. Like, of course, I think because the offensive line, the offensive line is so bad that I think he's just, and he's never been like a hyper-efficient guy. Sure. You know, maybe partly because he's been in Cincinnati. I don't want to completely blame it on him, but. Well, that's, that's uh, the other I think thing. That's is, the, that's the real blind. Well, if Joe Burrow is really good, 
I mean, it doesn't like we, we see this happen all the time. Like good, like great quarterbacks can overcome bad offensive line play for running back scoring. Yeah, but I just I don't think they have, you know, they've got Chase, they've got Higgins, they got Boyd. I don't think they're going to do like a Christian McCaffrey thing with him. Like, I think in order to have like a Christian McCaffrey type season, he would need to have like the 95 percent snaps and they're just like dumping off to him constantly. yeah i i don't i don't think four receptions yeah. yeah i i think like he's got like a two percent chance or something but he's not like completely dead to do it but it's just yeah it, it's definitely tough for mix but swift i mean swift is a guy depending on where you're drafting right you can get swift in like the mid to late third on underdog in the main event um on the in the main event we almost got him in the at the 509 uh, the 508. So it's like, or sorry, the 508, the, uh, in, at the 408, he almost came back to the, uh, to the fourth round. We were drafted on the one Oh five, um, which would have been wild. I, 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 he normally does not get that far, but you will occasionally see him drop. I think because of this groin thing, um, you'll see him. Drop yeah. That's what I was going to say. I, I am actually, I actually am a little bit worried about this groin thing. Like I, I was, I listened to that stealing bananas episode with Gretch and Sean, where Sean made <laughs> yeah. the case that Swift might go in the first round next year. And I was like, well, better, better fix that better start drafting some Swift. And then pretty much like, I don't know, maybe five days after that podcast published, the lines were like, uh, yeah, Swift hasn't practiced for a week and this groin injury is not going away. And right. that, that cooled my jets. Yeah, that makes it tougher. But there is this setup where you can take an elite wide receiver and a running back around two. You still get the same construction. And I think that you definitely want exposures, exposure to that construction this year because, you know, I, I really think that there's a good chance that that ends up being what you need um, outside of obviously McCaffrey, who's, who's the unicorn. But if it's not what you need, I think the most likely guy – to change that is Camara. I think there's an argument that Camara should be the 102. He has, I think, much higher up. Like Dalvin Cook is not going to score 28 points per game this year, but there are some scenarios where Alvin Camara does. Like I, yeah, I catches, agree with you. Catches that, catches seven passes a game and gets a total monopoly on their goal line. Yeah, and I, I mean, part of me wonders if Murray getting cut, like if Freeman. You know, I, I don't think Freeman's going to expand on what Latavius Murray was doing last year. So no, I be... would if if they do actually cut him, that would be the Saints saying we are going to give Alvin Kamara the ball 340 times this year, and that's just our game plan on offense, which would actually make sense. Like, uh, of all the running backs that like would matter and actually you know provide like a positive EPA per play or whatever. Like Kamara is like, I would, I would liken Kamara the most to like someone like Jamal Charles where like Jamal yeah. Charles was so good that in like anyone who would have argued that Jamal Charles shouldn't be paid a shit ton of money was wrong because that was how good Jamal Charles was. And what, what was the most touches Charles ever got in a season? I mean, the, the first year that Jamal Charles really broke out, he didn't even get the most carries on his team. Thomas Jones did. Right. Uh, so, Okay. Literally, exactly. Year year six, Jamal Charles gets 329 touches, 1,900 scrimmage yards, and 19 touchdowns. And that was like the year that you needed him. Yeah, that was his year. He had, he had one uh, legendary season. That was it. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, I mean, 
that's the thing. I mean, Camara to me, it's it feels risky. But I think with Camara, Camara's like, I think we should be be viewing like all running backs like Camara feels in terms of the risk. You know, like Camara does you. We all like very clearly see the risk with Camara in a way that I think is actually like helpful. You know, like it, and some of the other guys, they don't feel risky the same way Kamara feels risky. They like we've talked ourselves more into them being kind of like locked into a floor, and like none of these guys are really locked into a floor. So Kamara, because I so clearly see the risk, and I'm still very interested in drafting him, I'm like that makes me almost like more interested in drafting him because yeah. you know i'm like hey if i still want him despite no, like despite knowing that the risk is not lost on me in this case maybe i should be taking him over cook who i'm kind of feeling like is so safe and locked in yet what about the shoulder injury you i know? mean what about the shoulder injury what about the fact that uh none of their quarterbacks are vaccinated like if yeah. i was to pick if i was to pick one team that was most likely to have the kendall hinton game in 2021 it would be the vikings they don't have one vaccinated quarterback on their roster yeah what about the fact that like his receptions might be declining from last year when he's already like in this clinton portis mold that we've not seen for over a decade uh we really need him to get back we need him his receptions to increase in order for him to have like a obviously he can do it but like the probability of him repeating what he did last year in exactly the same way is pretty low I think his much clearer path is that he sees a few more receptions as the team passes more as they move towards the pass because of Justin Jefferson, but we're running counter to what we know Zimmer wants to do with that, you know, and if their defense improves, which it looks like it will, and they slow down, you're looking at cook, I think with a bit of a harder path to that ceiling. I think Kamara is like, especially if you say like, who's more likely to score 27 points per game, Kamara hands down 26, Kamara hands down 25, Kamara hands down. Like, you know, like there's maybe if you get to like 23, 22, 21, then we start to lean towards Cook. But if I'm taking yeah, Cook, the guy one Cook, or two, I want that massive Cook, ceiling. Yeah, Cook projects a little bit better from like a median perspective because you like, you know, he's like 80% of the team's running back touches basically. Right. Like, you know, Kenne and Wangu and Alexander Madison are just not really pressing him for for work at any part of the field. Um, and, you know, there is the Taysom stuff with Kamara, like what happens if Taysom rushes for nine touchdowns or whatever. I mean, I, I think that's becoming less likely as Taysom continues to suck playing actual quarterback. Like it, it does not sound like Taysom is having a particularly good camp. He was very bad in his first preseason game, which is much more in line with what everything else I know of Taysom. Like Taysom was not a particularly good college quarterback you know, is not particularly accurate. He did have, they went, I think they went three and one in the games he started last year, which maybe gave some false bravado to, uh, to Sean Payton's love for him. But uh, the, the other guy, so Elliot has a path to like, kind of like a legendary season in my opinion, but it wouldn't be through loads of receptions. I mean, I think he'll get his 60 or 65 receptions or whatever, but it would be the Cowboys offense is actually as amazing as yeah. we think. And he just he just gets to fat his way into 22 touchdowns from the three yard line. Right. And so to kind of put a put a button on the cook thing, I'm still taking cook, especially in best ball, because you can't get him outside of the one two. So anytime I have the one two, taking him there, getting some exposure to cook, you know, cook's an awesome player. I, I want I do want some exposure, but 
the Camara thing of me thinking through like, why do we prefer Cook to Camara really has me really leaning Camara over Zeke and over Henry and especially for managed. Like I don't plan to take Zeke in, in the, in the main event. I, I don't think we'll have a single share of them. We've had chances. We've I, taken. See, dates. I would take I would take Zeke in the main event. I would take over Zeke Camara? in the main event. No, 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 no. Okay. I I have so in. I'm I'm looking at my underdog exposures right now, and I have 16% Alvin Kamara. So like that's very. It's hard to get above eight percent of a first rounder, right? And I have twice that because when I'm there at five and it's Zeke or Kamara, I've taken Kamara every time. When it when Kamara's there at six, I'm taking him there every time, and then at three. I'm taking him there too. I'm taking him over Derrick Henry every single time. So I, I'm, I'm big. I'm big on Kamara. It looks like I have 13% Zeke, which would mean that I, I mean, that's exactly what I'm saying. I take believe these, means you're a robust running back truther. Well, I just take, <laughs> I take those guys over. I take I those guys over Kelsey. Like I only take Kelsey and, and uh, Tyreek and Adams when they fall kind of. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, but the thing with, with Zeke in the main event, right? So I'm looking at um, the one we're doing with Ben Gretsch right now. Uh, Zeke goes 107 with Hill, Adams, and Diggs all on the board. So you have your pick of those guys. And then coming back, you could get CEH. So the, and you know, otherwise it's Ridley. So it's Zeke Ridley versus like Tyreek or Diggs or Adams and then CEH think I'd rather have the CH side of that. Wow, you're, you've become the CH truther. So this is my thing on CH. He feels a lot better to really target on the best ball platforms because every once in a while you can get him in the third round. You can get him at the 302. You can get him at the 303 every once in a while. And that feels very safe because that basically means at that point that you've locked up two players who are really good that you really like. And but you're never getting CH in the third round in a main event. They'll, they'd never let no. the running back fall that far. Not, and especially not maybe the 301. <laughs> maybe, could, yeah, maybe, you maybe, you, you, yeah, maybe you go yeah. McCaffrey, Justin Jefferson, CH or whatever. Right. Maybe, maybe that was swift in this one. So, you know, just to give you an idea of the running backs, I mean, Najee Harris went 202 in this room. So, uh, yeah, the running back thirst on FFPC is, is definitely a different animal. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in general, like when CH is in the the mid first round like this, you're getting you're passing up on two, maybe all three of the elite wide receivers. You can sometimes pair him with Ridley. I'm looking at the one we're in a another one right now. Ridley was gone by that point, and so it's Metcalf there. The and he actually did this. The guy from seven went Zeke, and then Metcalf. Um, he could have gone Adams or Diggs, and then Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that's like an obvious, obvious 2v2 to go with Diggs or Adams. Are you, are you finding it strange that Jonathan Taylor's ADP has not rebounded as the news on Carson Wentz's foot has been good? Because there was an immediate reaction to the original injury, right? Immediately, you like you could sometimes get Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey. Like you could get Jonathan Taylor at 24 or whatever. And Maybe he, he's bounced back a little bit. I think his ADP is like 17 now on underdog. But, I mean, if, if Wentz is going to be good to go, I, I don't know. Like, I'd rather have Jonathan Taylor than Austin Eckler. Yeah. Yeah, me too. 
And I think in in some ways, I wonder if like the Wentz injury just made people think about it a little bit. Think more. about it, how fragile you it know? was. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, Wentz is good. Like you're back in, right? And everyone's like, uh, I actually no. I I never thought this through all the way, and now I'm scared of it. I think there must be some of that because the whole thing was a bit irrational. Like Naheem Hines' ADP was dropping, and Naheem Hines is like maybe the one guy who benefited from the Wentz injury. You know, they're right. going to have like potentially. Probably you're going to get like, you know, if Wentz, let's say, miss like six games, you're probably going to get one and a half games of Jacob Eason. Then they're going to move to Ellinger, right? As Eason throws like four interceptions in six quarters. And then Ellinger is basically kind of this guy. He's a game manager. He's going to check the ball down a bunch. Like it would have been amazing for Naheem Hines. Um, but his ADP was affected very, I mean, almost as severely as as Taylor's, you know, he's dropping by multiple rounds. So the whole thing didn't feel particularly rational. Uh, I think people just realized the Colts are scary. The Colts are, the Colts are very scary. So, I mean, I guess the, the natural progression then would be, we gotta, we gotta figure out some of the dead zone guys who actually can catch the requisite number of passes. And there are, there are a couple of guys that I feel pretty good actually there are three guys that I feel really good about taking four if you want to extend the dead zone out to Chase Edmonds I know it's become like it, you it's actually a more popular Twitter talking point to be like dude Jay, this is a James Connor tweet Chase Edmonds only has one carry inside the five yard line in his career you know but James Connor is not good we have like mountains of evidence of James he wasn't Connor. that bad last year he wasn't he was, that that, so that's the thing. He wasn't that bad, but not being that bad does not equate to being good. And people are extrapolating Chase Edmonds being inefficient in one start in the Kenyon Drake role last year to him not being capable of doing that role. And to me, like this is a, this is a total Sean point, right? Like just take the guy who's better at football and Chase Edmonds is way better, way shiftier, way more elusive. I don't know that Chase Edmonds is better. Chase Edmonds is not, a good rusher he's been terrible as a rusher for his entire career and how many rushing got, attempts does he even have uh you'll have to look that up but he's, I'm, I'm his looking. elusive he's, ratings he's all got, like all three years have been real bad he averaged he averaged uh 4.6 yards per carry last year 5.1 the yard 5.1 the year before um the i'll pull up my my notes on the elusive ratings which were I mean, I, 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 I buy it, but like, also he has 217 carries in his career. The offensive line has always been bad. This is, that's a team that spent resources on offensive line this off season that theoretically should make it a little, I mean, who knows? Like you well, and the I offensive not- line benefits everyone. And I would say, you know, with Connor, sure. He is the one who I don't, he genuinely was not bad last year. And he's the one with the Steelers offensive line last year. He's the one with immobile Ben Roethlisberger, right? So he's the guy now getting improvement of Kyler Murray. He's the one that will see an improvement in offensive line play almost no matter what happens with these additions because the Steelers offensive line was so bad last year and he's moving to a different team. So I think he's the one where like the most so, things so are So what changing. you're saying is this is a James Conner tweet. Dude, Chase Edmonds has had one career goal line <laughs> rush. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not saying it's necessarily James Conner year, but I do think price adjusted, he's still the better bet, especially in the main event. Like in 
underdog ADP, I've been mixing in Chase Edmonds because he'll fall to the end of the seventh into the eighth round. Like, all right, cool. Like, I'll definitely take him there. But um, looking at the two most recent main events uh, that, that I'm in now, these are still ongoing. Chase Edmonds went in the sixth round, uh, 6.05 in one of them. And he went in the – he did go in the seventh round of this one, of the – the most recent one. So he went at the, uh, the seven Oh nine in this one, that's a little more palatable. I can, I can get a little bit more. On board. Yeah. I'm not trying to take chase Edmonds over Debo. I'm trying to take chase Edmonds over Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas. Yeah. Although you're still taking him here over Tyler Boyd, Michael Gallup. Yeah. That's, that's where the shift from underdog to FFPC comes in where you are actually like, uh, so right now, last two weeks, ADP chase Edmonds, he goes ahead of Robbie Anderson, ahead of Juju, ahead of Sutton, ahead of Bisca, Boyd, Debo, Antonio Brown, who I can't get a good handle on. I don't, I mean, I have like no Antonio Brown and maybe no, I should. I don't either. I know but, I probably should too. He's going like, to bury me. That's I'm never going to, I've never thought through Antonio Brown burying me and then he's going to bury me. I'm like, God, Devonta, I think this through. No, Devonta Smith and, and Antonio Brown go right <laughs> next to Bisca, Fuller and Waddle. Yeah. And like, oh, Tua sucks. Fuller gets hurt again. Waddle is, you know, playing with Jacoby Brissett or something. And I'm just watching Antonio Brown just bury me every day. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I want to ask you about the Dolphins, actually. But just to just to uh, yeah, let's wrap, up this let's wrap up the Edmonds Cardinals thing. thing. Because as we move, I think I think the funny thing about this whole like Edmonds Connor debate is that on underdog, you should really be drafting both of them. Not obviously on the same team, but uh, you should be mixing in both of them because the price is pretty good on both. And if you can get Connor, Connor in the 11th, 12th round, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, and Chase Edmonds, as I said, you know, you can get sometimes in the early eighth, but in the FFPC, I don't really want either. James Connor's going in they're like both the late ninth, early yeah. 10th. Yeah. They're both overpriced. So kind of get your exposure on underdog. And when you come over, you know, and drafting for these managed leagues, like I, I would just avoid that whole situation. Uh, the the risk of each of both guys is is really not priced in, but I well, did want so to ask I, you about. Oh, go ahead. I, well, I, let's we'll talk about Miami in a second. But I, I let's see if we agree on these three guys then as the primary dead zone guys: Daryl Henderson, Travis Etienne, and Javante Williams as the guys who are yeah. most palatable as dead zone running backs. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got Javante Williams in the sixth round. Uh, yeah, front out of the out of the six o nine here uh no 608 we got him and that's pretty sweet in the ffpc like you know you the the running backs after him were miles gaskin and kareem hunt kareem hunt i think is actually probably also deserves his name to be mentioned in this conversation um has the contingent value has has the startable value you know easy guy to plug into your lineup and is your running back team is your rb1 uh, and then if if Chubb were to go down, obviously his value increases by a lot. So I think he makes a lot of sense. And then, yeah, ETN, Javante Williams, and Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson here went uh, at the 504. ETN here did go in the fourth round. He went at the 410. That's too pricey for me. But if he's in the fifth, I think that's fine. Uh, and Javante right now, price adjusted, is probably the best guy especially for managed leagues right because with Javante the play is he's DeAndre Swift right mm -hmm. or he's Jonathan Taylor 
where down the stretch, he just takes it over. Whereas I think ETN, you're probably not going to see him. Like he's going to be kind of in a part-time role throughout the entire season. Now, maybe he crushes in that role, but I don't know. You're, you're not getting like the same kind of down the stretch, like playoff hammer well, vibes from him. So I would, I would say that it just depends on how well he plays. If ETN mm-hmm. is kind of just like, you know, he's fine, makes a couple good plays, you know, maybe misses a pass block here or there. Like, I, I think his role will just be what it is. They'll give him some some open space touches, like kind of like, uh, um, remember when LaDainian Tomlinson and Sean Green played together oh, yeah. for the Jets? Like, kind of like that, where where James <laughs> Robinson would get all the gross which, stuff. Which one is ETN, LaDainian? yeah he's young Ladanian. okay yeah like not old, old Ladan. i'm just thinking of the role like that was just the first yeah. example that came to mind like the thunder and lightning right and right Dr- Dr- or, uh, or chris johnson and uh who was the guy he was playing with early on oh i know exactly who you're talking about um oh, damn it no i i I'll, I'll find it i'll find it because I, I I remember exactly back when he was playing for the, the Titans. The Titans, yeah. Yeah, uh, Lendale White. Lendale White. There Lendale White, yeah. Uh, I mean, they played lots of guys with with him in that role. Uh, Javon Ringer was another Javon guy who Ringer. who played in that role. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, every, everyone understands what I'm talking about. The the Thunder and Lightning, and Etn is the Lightning. But if Etn is really good, you know, if he's popping off five and a half yards per carry. James Robinson mm-hmm. looks like an undrafted free agent running back, you know, nothing special. Uh, then I think like if ETN is playing well, you will see his playing time grow. Like, I don't think that. Yeah, that's will, fair. It won't be like where they were still stubbornly playing Adrian Peterson, even though Swift was clearly better. I don't, I do. I think if ETN's playing very well and Robinson is just what he is, I don't think they will just be like, okay, well, we got to get James Robinson 13 carries a game. Right. Yeah, the thing I struggle with ETN is that, like, on underdog, they're right next to each other, him and Javante Williams. Um, and maybe, you know, you you need to get under you need to get ETN more, like, in the late fifth, and then Javante Williams can come back into the sixth. But I've gotten ETN in the sixth on underdog. Uh, and then in FFPC, that's not the dynamic. Uh, the last two main events I've done, ETN has gone in the late fourth in both. Javante Williams yep. has gone in the mid to late sixth in both. And, you know, once you factor in that kind of price difference, I strongly prefer Williams because the, the wide receiver tier, you're hitting like, you're, you're kind of getting through a couple tier breaks um, with, you know, those two rounds. There's a lot of wide receivers that tend to go between those two guys. So, you know, Javante Williams going after LaVisca Chenault in this, this main event. Um, obviously, someone had reached for LaVisca Chenault and it wasn't us. Uh and, you know, Travis Etienne going before Brandon Ayuk, going before Julio Jones, Claypool. So it's, it's like tough to get, it's tough for me to see how I get Travis Etienne exposure in the main event right now because of the price gap. Yeah, he's so rich. Um, he's so rich. Now, I mean, compared to Najee Harris, I like him a lot more. You can talk yourself into him. Yeah, I'd rather take Etienne. Yeah, I'd rather take Etienne at four ten than Najee Harris at two two or whatever. For sure. Yeah, even two twelve. Um, but Javante Williams, then you're going well. I can wait two more rounds and get Williams. Uh, so it's like hard not to just kind of arbitrage yourself twice and and go with. Yeah, Williams. but Javante, you know for a fact, I, you probably can't start him week one. Like right. Javante, 
Javante, you're going to have to start James White or Giovanni Bernardi at running back two in week one, which is does yeah. change the value calc a little bit. Well, not for me. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> I well, mean, we got we got AJ Dillon, you know, and then it's like, all right, we'll uh, we'll probably start in James White or, or Giovanni Bernard. I think that's I think that's fine. I mean, that's sort of like why I like taking him is that that is exactly why he costs what he does. That's why he goes but, in the sixth round instead of yeah, the fourth round. Exactly, because people are like, oh, I don't want to have to start Giovanni Bernard. And so if you're just like, I'm fine starting Giovanni Bernard week one then it, all of a sudden Javante Williams is wildly mispriced and you know because you're you're planning on you know dominating at the wide receiver and flex positions that's going to be a real edge right you know and a lot of these teams I have I have an absurd amount of George Kittle exposure because I don't understand his ADP on FFPC he's going in like the late second yeah that's absurd so we're just scooping him and uh so you're dominating at the tight end you're dominating at the wide receivers dominating at the flex positions Hopefully also mixing in some elite uh, quarterback play. If please, dear God, Kyle Shanahan, start Trey Lance. Yeah. What are, what are you going to do? What are, what are, what are we going to do on all these teams where we have fields and Lance where we're having to pick up quarterbacks (laughs) for, for the first couple weeks of the season? I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm not going to be happy about it. Especially when I see Andy Dalton, dude, I actually think, I think fields might start first. I know they've like, they've talked about, you know, this whole plan, but Andy Dalton has been like, bad in training camp bad in joint practices he looked bad in the preseason game like I honestly think that Dalton is not going to be able to put up like a fight for more than about a game and a half like it's really hard for me to see how how yeah I think I think three or four the 49ers can win more games than the Bears can like I think the Bears are going to get a a good look at Andy Dalton and they are going to judge him wanting pretty early very early and they're already talking about like okay I think we should have, I mean, the, the Bears plan, to be clear, is very stupid. And I, I'm glad they're like waking up to that fact, but it's still like crazy that they have yet, like prior to the preseason game, Fields, I don't think had been getting any snaps with Allen Robinson. Like they'd not played together, which is and crazy to me. Uh, now, Justin Fields did get hurt. He is, he does have like a small groin injury or something like that. They said, they said he probably is not going to play this weekend. Uh, but that he's fine. Like it's not, he doesn't need cert. It's not like a big deal or anything, but just that they want him to, to rest up. Okay. I'd miss so that, that might, that might make it a little bit more likely that Dalton starts in week one, but I mean, can't you just see Justin Fields coming in at halftime when the bears are down 28, zero, like, can't you just see that movie playing out in your mind? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's exactly what, happened what with I Deshaun think. Watt- that's what happened with Deshaun Watson. He, he, I don't even remember. Could have been, could have been Ryan Mallett, could have been Tom Savage. Like, I literally don't even know who it was, but he came in at halftime of his very first game. Yeah. I mean, I just think that, like, these guys know that they're going to get fired if, like, they don't have – if yes. they have a terrible season. And if they have a terrible season and then Justin Fields comes in and is awesome and it's too late to save the season, they're cleaning house. Like, that's, like, it's such an embarrassment. I feel like they have to know that. So if Dalton looks like a disaster right away, uh, just out of self-preservation, they have to move the fields where Shanahan is not in that situation at all. Shanahan can lose two or three games because he's slow to move to to Lance from Jimmy. I mean, they could miss the playoffs and he wouldn't get fired. Agreed. 
he could miss the playoffs and it could be clear it was because he was too late to start Lance and he won't be fired. So yeah. I, I do think there's kind of like a, he's actually the guy who can sit back and, and think about the long term in a way that'll be super annoying for fantasy. At the same time, I'm still, I still have more Lance than Fields, which I think maybe is a leak. I don't know where, where are you at on that? No, that's, that, that is a leak. It, okay. It's, it is a leak. Yeah. No doubt right. about it. All right. I got to fix that then. Because, because their upsides are, their upsides are so similar, but Fields seems like a favorite for more starts. And he's cheaper. And he's cheaper. I mean, I guess probably Lance's pure rushing upside is better because he was a, a better pure rusher in college, but like, who knows how well that's going to translate. Well, I think they'll also use him more as a pure rusher. Like, I think they're going to try to have him be like Lamar Jackson, but a better passer. Like that's their goal for him. Whereas I think the, the bears are going to use fields more like Deshaun Watson. Like he's going to be scrambling around and making stuff happen uh, or Russell Wilson, right. Where it's like, he's extending plays and then he's running, but they're not, I don't think they're going to be doing like, you know, zone read stuff with him. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I just like, I, and honestly, like I think fields is better though. Like that it just to me, like in my, I'm like fields is a better quarterback. Like he's going to play better, you know, I'm, I'm, Fairly agnostic to that. I, I think both could be very good. But also, but I, the, I don't know. The offensive context for the 49 their offensive line is better. Their skill position, like, you know, Ayuk, Debo, Kittle, right. the running backs, like, it's like he's got, I mean, Allen Robinson is good. We we kind of think Cole Komet is good. David Montgomery and Damian Williams are fine. Darnell Mooney's a good field stretcher. But like after that, you're talking about like Marquise Goodwin and Riley Ridley. Also, like the fact that like Cole Komet and Darnell Mooney are like the one of those guys are the second best guy in the offense. You'd feel a lot better if they were like the third or even fourth best guy for like a truly loaded. Because I mean, if you look at the 49ers, like George Kittle is a star, right? Debo Samuel, I think, is better than Komet. And, and I think Ayuk and Samuel are both better than Mooney and Komet. So right. it's really like the Bears, like if we were drafting real life drafting these uh skill position players uh you know we would take the, our second bear wouldn't come until basically all the 49ers guys so yeah um all right do we have i mean do we have any other big to oh you want to talk about the dolphins well i want to i want to ask you about like you know this dolphins offensive line i don't know that like that's gotten I, i'm getting a little nervous about this dolphins offensive line reading um Brandon Thorne's rankings, they're, they're not, they're not good on Dolphins offensive line. And, and they, I guess they just traded for this guy from the Panthers kind of cast off. It seems like if there's going to be something that ruins this Tua breakout, the Will Fuller shares that I have a ton of the Jalen Waddle shares that I have a fair amount of, you know, these beautiful Tua stacks that you can make an underdog is so easy Tua pairing with the elite quarterbacks very nicely all of that being ruined, I think it's this offensive line and we need Tua to be protected in order for him to, to make a, a fairly sizable leap from what he showed last year, which, you know, you can definitely see happening because of the weapons. But I think like, you know, the Bengals, we started to wake up a little bit to the, how bad the offensive line is that combined with, with Burrow coming off the ACL and, and not looking hundred percent yet has cooled their ADPs a little bit, but the Dolphins stuff, I feel like that's not fully factored into this breakout case for for this offense are you are you at all worried about the offensive line situation there 
I mean, I guess, but like how often in the middle of the season are we thinking about things like that? Like, I just like, remember that, that there was a Bengals game last year where they played their entire second string. They didn't have one offensive line starter available and like it ended up being fine. Like, I just, I feel like it's, it is, that is good granular data to be thinking about. But I, I have a hard time making things like that actionable. Like if Tua is just as good as we think he is and he just kind of figures it out, like part of just figuring it out will be, okay, well, I got to do this with a bad offensive line. And like, obviously a good offensive line helps, but I, I don't know. Like I, I, I very much struggle how to weight things like that. You know, like a really good offensive line is why Jonathan Taylor is is being drafted so high, right? But mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Like, how how does that offensive line give him 0.2 more yards per carry? Does it give him two extra touchdowns? Like, I just feel like that's kind of like a nebulous part of drafting fantasy football teams that we don't have a great idea how to contextualize. And also, maybe that's why they want to play Malcolm Brown. Maybe that maybe that is mm-hmm. why because yeah, Malcolm Brown blocking. is he's a good pass blocker. So maybe that's why. Uh, we saw so much Malcolm Brown in preseason week one. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I think the thing, that, the part of the reason it concerns me with the Dolphins in particular is because we are betting on a breakout from a guy who didn't show that well last year. And so, like, there's other bad offensive line. Like, the Bears don't have a very good offensive line. That doesn't concern me so much because that actually might help. Right. Justin Fields, like, as I just said, I don't think they're going to be calling a lot of runs for him. So if he has a bad offensive line, he takes a bunch of sacks. That sucks. But you also get the flip side of that. He's scrambling around. He's running for his life. He's getting a lot of he's getting a lot of rushing yards that he might not otherwise get because they're not calling running plays for him. And he's awesome when the play breaks down, making big plays. So it's more that like I don't view Tua as that guy necessarily. You know, I think he'd be better off if he could be kind of in rhythm. He's kind of like a guy who wants to be, you know, hitting open receivers, them getting yards after catch, right? Like that, that's been this whole narrative. Like he's not Fitzpatrick. He's, he's, he doesn't want to throw the, the 50, 50 balls. Like we got to get him guys who are open and, and, you know, some of these faster guys, et cetera. So that, that whole thing kind of breaks down if he's not protected. It just concerns me a little bit. Yeah. Brandon Thorne had them as the, the worst ranked offensive line, uh, and given that, you know, they've got Waddle, they've got Fuller, it's like some of these deep shots is, is actually kind of what we're hoping for from the offense. The whole thing is just making me a little nervous. And it a little nervous coming from a place as someone who's been in on it. So I'm like, you know, maybe as we close out best ball season here, I, I, uh, I back off a little bit on the Dolphins. That's kind of the, the thought that I'm having. And I wanted to get your perspective on yeah, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not right. going to back off. I'm not going to back off on the, the Dolph. Doesn't mean that's right. It's just like, I I do not have the skills or the intricate knowledge to be like, this is what's going to happen with a bad offensive line. And also I would wonder about the correlation of like preseason grades for offensive lines to like their in-season PFF grades. Mm-hmm. Like I would wonder if that's actually something that you can contextualize. Cause I feel like, Offensive line play, what you kind of hear from people in the NFL is like, that's definitely something people in the NFL don't understand. Like the way that uh, the assignments are doled out and things like that. I feel like that's one of the key areas where people are like, well, you don't really know what you're watching. And I would definitely right. admit, I don't know what I'm watching um, as it relates to offensive, like 
a guy gets beat for a sack. I'm like, well, that guy sucks, you know, or, but like, I don't know, maybe, maybe he was having to, maybe, you know, his teammate messed up and he was trying to recover for his teammate or something. Yeah. I've never tried to break down offensive line play and I, and you will not see me doing that anytime soon. Uh, That's I, I leave that to the experts, but so far the experts do not seem to be uh, impressed with uh, it's not, it's not just Brandon that, I've been looking around at some offensive line rankings. They they are not expected to have a very good offensive line. So that that had me a little concerned, but uh, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe Malcolm Brown will save the day. He'll uh, just come in and get all his pass blocking snaps. Are you um, are you interested in taking Malcolm Brown now? I've been actually trying to talk Ben and Pete into taking Malcolm Brown in our main event. Um, just because it's like I he's going to get snaps, right? And like snaps are kind of what matter. Now, Philip Lindsay also showed that he's going to have a bigger role than expected. Um, Ty Johnson might have a bigger role than we expected. As you know, I was already in on him to begin with. And I think Malcolm Brown stinks. Like watching him, I went back and was watching all of those snaps and God, he looks bad. So I was kind of like, I was trying to talk them into taking him. And then we've waited a few rounds. Now we're in the 17th round and he's still not gone. If he gets back to us in the 17th round of this main event, I think we almost have to take him. All right. Where this would be the 1710. Because um, you just, yes. they're saying like, oh, we have three guys and all this and that, but they've actually run basically a one running back system all of last year. You know, like we didn't even know who Ahmed was really. And then he's like the guy when Gaskin was out and they had, they still had Breda, you know, they, they, they had um, DeAndre Washington and stuff. Like we didn't think it would be Ackman. They just kind of, they let one guy do it. So I think there's a chance that Malcolm Brown is treated as like a truly running back. And as gross as that is, that would be pretty valuable. And if it's free at this point, at at this point, it really would be free. I, I don't see like why we're getting like, so caught up in our own talent evaluations when an NFL team may hand this guy a lead role. You know what I mean? And there are also, there's some guys who do tape analysis that really like Malcolm Brown. I don't, I don't do tape analysis. I watch football and I, for the life of me, can't, can't imagine how he looks good on tape (laughs) given what he looks like to me. But like, there are people that think that and the dolphins very clearly like him. I mean, so, they, they specifically went out and recruited him. They specifically right. went out and drafted him for a reason, like to be, and, and I guess, you know, it really shouldn't be that surprising. Like he's just this guy now. Yeah. Right. He's, he might be their lead running back, you know, at a certain point. Um, and in this main event draft, Ackman is off the board. Gaskin is off the board. Uh, my guy Ramondre Stevenson's off the board and Malcolm Brown's just sitting here. So yeah, you like, got it. That, that is like the, and especially like he fits. So Malcolm Brown would be bad or, or just not needed. If you started your draft, Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor, right. Cause like you're just would never be starting him over those guys. Uh, right. And by, by week seven, we're, we're kind of hoping that someone has pushed Malcolm Brown to the bench. But if you took Alvin Kamara and then your second running back was AJ Dillon, well, which probably, is exactly what we went Gibson Dillon. Probably week one, you would be starting Malcolm Brown over AJ Dillon. Well, Ben Gretsch is a co owner in this team, so I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think getting are we starting? We're starting AJ st- Dillon week one. On this team, we are. 
I think I literally would have to go to the mat to start to get Ben to start Malcolm Brown over AJ Dillon. I truly cannot imagine the the lengths I would have to go to to convince Ben of that. And I don't even think I'd try because, you know, Malcolm Brown, I, I don't believe in Malcolm Brown as a talent at all. But I think what you do with Malcolm Brown is like you get to see week one. If he what if he gets 65 percent of the snaps, you know, what if he gets 70 percent of the snaps? It's not crazy. It seems crazy because he gets 70 percent of the snaps. It'll be 13 carries for 31 yards, four receptions for nine yards and probably a goal line touchdown. Sweet. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds quite usable for the next, you know, three, four weeks is. As we, uh, I mean, it's like him or James White, right? Or like, well, you know, I like James White better than Malcolm Brown, even with this. Reveal. We did take, we took James White over over Malcolm Brown. We have James White in this team. Already, well, you but, did the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're sitting back, we're waiting. We took Diami Brown uh, instead of uh, instead of Malcolm Brown. So we're like sitting back and waiting for Malcolm Brown to fall to us for free. But my God, if he does, I mean, it's kind of a no brainer. And arguably, we you know could have scooped him earlier. So. Uh, I'm not like in on him. I, th- I do think he, like, I like Ty Johnson better, for example, because I think Ty Johnson. No, I like Malcolm good. Brown better than Ty Johnson. Okay. Here's, here's my renewed case for Ty Johnson as I'm, as I'm immediately back in with like one positive, right. one positive sign. I like immediately fall, fall back in love. That's the problem with this whole fling plan where I like have like a new running back fling every week is that, you'll relapse you know if you see any good any good thing it's, it's easy to go back to a previous love so ty johnson uh he looks like to me like a really nice fit for that system where he's just kind of like he's like a one cut runner he's fast he's you know he was being used on third downs over michael carter he can catch the ball now tevin coleman was out of that game because of a personal issue so we don't know how he mixed in he probably would have mixed he probably would have made it really gross I wouldn't be excited, but I was impressed with Ty Johnson's rushing ability compared to Michael Carter within that system. Cause Carter looked like a bit more of kind of a dancer type, you know, like he's like kind of trying to put moves on guys and stuff. And I think in that system, you really, you know, you'd rather have the moster type who's just trying to get up field as quickly as possible. So I don't know, man, like if you're, if you're kind of grossed out by the Malcolm Brown argument, because you just don't think the talent's there. Ty Johnson is looking like, I don't know. He looks talented to me. He looks like a guy where well, I'm just he, betting on. I like, think he's uh, going to emerge. Yeah. He, um, he is like the guy with like some long speed and stuff in that backfield, yeah. like kind of like a one cut runner style sure. guy, yeah. which is exactly what they prize in that system, you know? So he's kind of like the bet to be a moster. Like, I don't think he'd be, um, yes. Yeah. Like a, a workhorse. There's no workhorse coming out of that system. I don't think, but, but yeah, he's a bet to kind of emerge as a, a, a free version of Mostert. Yeah. Uh, Michael Carter, by the way, has really started dipping in ADP. Like I got him in the, I got him in the 10th round of an underdog draft this morning. Yeah. I mean, so, I'm still somewhat interested there, but I think that's warranted. Like uh, everyone assumed, you know, it, in some ways, like he's, his ADP was propped up a little bit by like sort of projected volume. Um, and you know, there's such a big gap between him and Tevin Coleman and, and Ty Johnson. I think it's, I would be interested in him in the 10th, 11th for sure. But I think it's warranted that his ADP falls a little bit. 
Yeah. Especially with the third down stuff, right? If he's not getting third down, I mean, that's his whole thing. He's supposed to be. Did, did any other zero RB guys leap out to you from week one in the preseason? I mean, maybe, maybe like it became, I, to me, it became clear that McFarland is number two in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. So that was, that was the big, that was the other big observation. Darrington Evans looked good. He got hurt. Hurt Sammy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Shout out Eric Bime for how, Here. how, uh, how serious is that? No, I it's preseason. So these teams are not like they're being hardos because they're not obligated to tell us anything. So I haven't heard anything other than that. He's not at practice. Okay. Which um, is a bummer because we like Darrington Evans. It is Damian Williams. I think. Yeah. Got yep. more interesting. He just looks yeah. so much better than David Montgomery. He, he just looks, looks so, much, so better. much better. Yeah. We drafted him. We drafted him in the 13th, which was maybe exuberant. No, uh, dri- not exuberant. by me. Okay. No, not exuberant. I was just like, Damian Williams looks, looks good. Cause the thing with Damian Williams is we didn't know who he was right now. Cause he's like 29. He's taken a year off. I think he's 30 and, actually. Okay. Yeah. The, the, even more to the point then it's like, who is this guy? Is he actually going to be what we saw in 2019 or, you know, realistically, maybe he's just not that guy anymore. He looks good. Yeah. He looks so, good to go. I don't want to like put too much emphasis on how guys look at preseason, but that's new information. No, that's right? usable information for him because he could have came out and looked slow and hesitant and like he didn't want to get tackled and it just did not look that way. It just looked like he was ready to go. Yeah, right. So which is a big that's deal. pretty exciting. And we know Cohen is not going to have any kind of role early in the season. So no, I, I think he's going to go on the on the pup list. Yeah, so it could be. I mean, major contingent value and probably usable right out of the gate. So yeah, I'm pretty into Damian Williams. Um, He's definitely moving up. He's not really that different than, you know, like a guy like Devin Singletary, right? Like why does Devin Singletary consistently go ahead of Damian? I mean, and he's on a team that will use their running backs where touchdowns are scored. Like I just am not into the bills running backs. Like they just, they're like the, the thing with Moss is sure. If they decide to save Josh Allen, but like, Josh Allen probably is not on board with that plan. Like Josh Allen is not thinking like, Oh, I got to save my shoulders. Like he wants to score touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. Well, also I think even if that happens, Devin Singletary might not be the guy who benefits. Like, Devin Singletary needs a couple things to happen, you know, yeah, that I don't I just, think are all that. Likely. I think I would rather have Damien straight up. All right. All right. Now we're you, know, you know, you know, the other zero RB guy who just has not gotten any upward momentum yet, but Pete actually really likes this guy. He mentioned it when you got in a couple of your uh, on the clock ship chasing episodes, but like, why can't Kenyon Drake just get more touches than Josh Jacobs? Like, can't, can yeah. he? Yeah. Pete's been on him. He's gotten me on him enough to, we don't have him yet in the main event. Um, luckily we, we were talking about Kenyon Drake and we, we grabbed Henderson on that team, um, which we both prefer Henderson. Um, but that's the only time we've like seriously talked through Drake and he gave you also a little too early for my liking in FFPC, but I have gotten a, a decent amount of him in underdog. Thanks to Pete kind of helped me think through his, uh, his outlook. Yeah. I think, I mean, the funny thing about him is he's really a two down guy. Like he's not really, they are talking about using him as a receiver. That's not really his thing. They should flip them. Drake is a early down guy who is explosive and Josh Jacobs is elusive and actually a pretty good receiver. Pretty good receiver. Yeah. So it's just like a classic John Gruden, like 
mix them up that he's got Jacobs in the early down roll and Drake in the, the third down roll. Like their, their skill sets are exactly flipped. It's bizarre, but I think he's just going to doing this. He, of course he's talking about, you know, Josh Jacobs is going to win MVP was a literal quote from this offseason. Yeah. <laughs> Even though so he's bringing in another guy to play all the high value down. So whatever, but yeah, I mean, I think Drake, I get, I, it's so, it's so hard to invest in, in the Raiders because it's like you want to talk about offensive line concerns. They have major, major offensive line concerns. I think they could be really bad this year. So Drake, because he doesn't have the role for that third down stuff and they're kind of forcing it, like what should happen is that Drake should fail in that role. They flip the roles and then Josh Jacobs actually pays off his ADP for once. Um, but as it stands, I do think Drake is, is a decent value where he goes, especially an underdog where he's a bit cheaper. Yep. All right. Plug what we have coming up on NBC Sports Edge. Well, I plug again this article that I got out um, last week. The details, the profile of these legendary seasons went back to 2000, looked um, at every running back who scored 23 plus points per game in 12 plus games. And I thought it was pretty interesting, both in terms of helping us identify what we're looking for for this year, but also in just showing kind of how the profile has shifted. And really the emphasis has, has been more and more on receiving, not just in terms of the opportunity, which we talked about earlier, but also in terms of the receiving efficiency has been, you've needed to have receiving efficiency over the last like 10, 11 years in a way that you actually did not like Sean Alexander and Larry Johnson and stuff like they could get by with not being efficient receivers. And that has oh, it's a different the, game then it's a different game. I think that's a, it's a different game. We need the, the receiving production and this, the receiving skill set. That's, that's like another really key element of this, but there's a, I looked at offensive line play. I looked at passing efficiency. I looked at a ton of stuff. So go check out that article. I will have a follow-up piece looking at the early round running backs as they fit into this profile. That'll be coming out probably next week. Um, until then, uh, make sure to check out our draft guide, NBC Sports Edge Plus. Uh, there's a there's a promo going on right now. You can get a copy of Warren Sharp's book with promo code Sharp. Hey, so check that there out. There we go. You can it's always use book. the promo code Karain10 if you uh, want to support me and my dynasty rankings are over there too. Um, so that is uh, that is what we got going on. Oh, and the Miz is on the the podcast on uh, on Thursday. So if you're into WWE, check that out. Nice. All right, there we go. All right, everyone, uh, follow Pat. Read his work on NBC Sports Edge, and we will be back next week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.